So this is um, the third of our series of three that we've been looking at science and faith. We've looked at beginnings, and that's wonderful to explore Genesis and look at all the amazing things that happened there. Last week we looked a little bit more at evidence. What evidence do we have to say that? Because often we were saying that scientists will ask people these days, they'll observe, and then they'll say, let's examine and test this and look at the evidence. And so um, we were thinking a bit about some ways down history. Some scientists have been people of faith and how science often itself has a certain starting point and it's not so clearly cut in terms of science being over here and faith being over here. Um, Through the series, I hope we've shown that because the aim of the series was to prove that science is not the realm of atheists, but is something, speaks something of the wonder of the discoveries of God's handiwork and how we participate in that. And it's a fantastic opportunity and thing. Today, the third of our series, we come to endings. We've had beginnings, we've looked a bit at evidence. Today, we've come to endings. I wonder what you're like with endings. I wonder what kind of films makes you conjure in your mind. Endings makes me think of a western and they all stroll off into the sunset on their horses. Or they all get married and everyone is just delighted. A big wedding to finish the film. Fantastic. Doesn't always happen that way, does it? One of, one of um, a classic film from the, goodness me, time, time flies, whenever it was, Thelma and Louise spoke of two radical women who'd had enough of their lives um, and they went off and had a road trip together. And um, do you know the film I'm talking about before I stop? Some of you do. Some of you do. Some, okay, it's, it's worth looking at. In the final picture, they're chased by the police and they end up in a desert place. They rev the engine and they hurl the car over the edge of the canyon. And that's it. Bit of a shocking end, really. That's it. Go out in a blaze of glory. Why not? Why not? I'm not going to settle for this grey, dull existence that I'd had before. Quite a shocking ending, though. I don't think we're that good in our society with endings. I mean, you look at it in terms of even the entertainment culture. We want to make another Batman film. We want to make another of the same we've been doing before because it seems like a, a tried way of being successful. We don't want to let go of that idea or of that person or that thing so we just try and keep adding to it the idea of finality ending isn't easy I was chatting with with George Muchero who's doing a course in his URC training looking at funerals and I I sense I speaking to my colleagues that we are more inclined to rush on into thanksgiving rather than stay at the moment of actually saying the person has died and facing the finality of that. I think it's a challenge for all of us to to recognize that there is an end point in many of, of, of life cycles, including our own. What about the end of the world then? If we're talking about, sorry, it's just... We're at ending, so it seemed like an obvious thing. We've read Revelation. End of the world, what do you reckon? Are we hopeful or not? I'm not going to ask you your opinion. You've got your thoughts already. Um, but this guy, James Lovelock, said, we can't save the planet. Who is he? Well, James Lovelock, 
Professor James Lovelock is a scientist who developed the Gaia theory. And he said it's too late to try and save the planet. James Lovelock was the man who achieved notoriety or global fame for the theory that the whole earth is one single organism. But he believes that we can only hope that the earth will take care of itself in the face of completely unpredictable climate change. When he's interviewed recently by John Humphreys, he said that while the earth's future was totally uncertain, mankind was not unaware it had pulled the trigger on global warming as it built its civilizations. Mankind was not aware. We're not really guilty. We didn't deliberately set out to to heat the world. What is more, he says, the Earth's climate will not conveniently comply with the models of modern climate scientists. As the record winter cold testifies, global temperatures move in jerks and jumps, and so it's difficult to predict what the future will hold. At the age of 90, Professor Lovelock is resigned to his own fate. You might say, that's fine, he's 90. And the fate of the planet. And he says this, Professor Lovelock in his wisdom, this is his word for you this morning. Whether the planet saves itself or not, he argues, all we can do is enjoy life while you can. That's the scientific thinking. There's the wisdom for you. But he is at 90, Professor Lovelock. How would you respond to that? What do you think? As we look at the world, are we hopeful? Are we pessimistic? As we think about the relationship between science and faith... I was reading a fascinating analogy that talks about Aunt Matilda making a cake. Now go with me, don't worry, I haven't lost my marbles. Aunt Matilda makes this wonderful fruit cake and these people called scientists come and they cut it up. They put it under microscopes, they investigate it. Soon they can tell you what ingredients Aunt Matilda's used to make that cake. They'll tell you things about the cake and the ingredients that you didn't even know. They'll make patterns and charts. Fantastic. Soon they'll know so much about Aunt Matilda's cake. Amazing. Maybe they don't know quite why she made the cake. I think that's where faith comes in. They can look at the cake, but they don't know why it was made. But maybe, maybe these scientists today are looking at the cake of um, certainly environmental scientists and saying it's past its sell-by date. Maybe that's one of the conclusions they're coming to. But, as Christians, we've got a big but here. If God sent Jesus into the world, it's because matter matters. Life matters. Time matters. All of creation matters. It's for this reason when we read Revelation 21, as we read this morning, we read of a renewed earth. It's so important to get a hold of that. The Greek word kainos is not of a different kind, but a new kind. We must not think God completely throws the the world into the dustbin. Rather, we read, then I saw a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Indeed, as we go on in Revelation, what's striking is the lack of difference between heaven and earth. Look at that. There's no now, no gap. There's no difference between now and future. Suddenly, they all have become one. And so the tabernacle of God in Revelation is with men and women. God's dwelling is not above the cherubim in heaven, for the throne is set right in the midst of the new Jerusalem. Look at that imagery 
in Revelation we have there. The throne of God is within the new Jerusalem. There, as a renewed creation, God and humanity dwell in harmony. A harmony that was impossible in the old order of things. As we saw in Romans, Paul says, God has set these patterns, these beautiful patterns, but we can't see them. Creation will speak to us. If we see them, can show the order and the beauty and point to us of people of faith of a God. But people have looked at these things and reject God for so long. But here in Revelation, the two become one. Heaven on earth is the fulfillment of God's purposes. There is more, no more future, but only the eternal now. There's no need for seeing as through a glass darkly. For then we will see God face to face. Breathtaking stuff. Mind-blowing stuff. So let's go back to what we've been thinking about the last few weeks. Seeing, beauty, mystery, order. We've talked about looking at the world right out there. We've talked about looking at the world around us and how it relates to the world in here as well as the world in here. We've talked about helping each other to see the patterns of creation. In our discussions, we've been aware that there's so much that we yet haven't uncovered. There's so much that we don't know. And it's okay, I think, for us as Christians to call this mystery, the mystery of the universe. And I say that because um, we've got this quote from, from Morris Wiles. He said this fantastic thing. The appeal to mystery can be an evasion of proper, proper critical understanding and uh, critical questioning. We can too quickly as Christians say, it's all a mystery, that's fine. It's just a mystery. Let's just keep it as a mystery. But he goes on. Because he says, the appeal to mystery can be an evasion of proper, proper critical questioning, but mystery also encourages us to continue with the looking, for we can never tell whether we have reached the limits of human understanding. Indeed, it is to such a continued search for understanding that faith commits us. So let us in our lives, as we look at the world around, go on looking. Go on marveling. Go on asking questions, going right back to week one. But also to give thanks to God for the mystery of creation and the wonder of it. That that we enjoy and that that we don't yet enjoy. Seeing it as a gift from God. Helping recognize patterns in our creation, but also in our lives. Interesting to take a word from science, patterns, and think about our lives. Genesis would say clearly there's an order in this world. There's a very particular order. There's an order that's good for us in our lives. There's a pattern that's good for us in our relating to the world around us, relating to one another. And God is at the very heart of that. doesn't mean the pattern in your spiritual life will be the same as mine. In fact, perhaps we need to encourage each other to be bolder to find that pattern. To uncover that pattern for ourselves so that we know God 
in new ways so that we are renewed by God's Spirit within us. Looking, giving thanks for the world around. I love the the African proverb that says, I pointed to the stars and all that you saw was the end of my finger. Let's keep looking and acknowledge that our understanding is but partial. Thank God for all the questions that we have, all the ways that we look and understand. But to give thanks to God for this is God's world and to give thanks to God that God is aware of all that's happening and that we can be hopeful because matter matters to God. Because Jesus Christ came into this world and lived among us. We are hopeful that God will take the very ordinary and show us his fingerprints. And I mean that by the creation, but also of our lives. For our God is a renewing God who looks to renew creation, who looks to renew our lives as part of that. Let's enjoy science. Let's relate the questions to our spirituality. Let's be bold in the questions that we ask. Let's give thanks to God for the wonder and the joy of living. I want to finish. I think it's on here. Oh yes, again, fabulous pictures. I and mean, this is the joy for us as Christians. We can just, I could put up a series of pictures and just sort of say, let's give thanks to God. Isn't it just amazing? Don't ask me. Mark's not here today. We had um, um, somebody that is, works in the um, library in the astronomy department and he'd tell us what exactly this is. But just fantastic, the beauty that is all around us. But I want to finish by a prayer that's based on Genesis 1. Again, as we think of relating science to our spirituality and our prayer and our hopefulness, our peace, as we live in a broken world. Just look at these words before perhaps we say them. So let's say them together. God, break into our darkness with the light of your presence. Split the cosmic silence and speak in the void of our shapeless lives. Plant seeds of love in barren hearts. Nourish us with your life-bringing spirit. Again, let's just look at that. Thinking of Genesis 1. And so we say, mold us so that we become the image of yourself. And every facet of our universe displays the stamp of your creative love. Then help us to rest in you and see that life is good.